stop bullying and shouting at the lower orders? Never! There's only one way to win a campaign. Shout, shout and shout again! This is Shot and Shield. Listening in Brasilia, Brazil, Otepani, Romania, and Kildare, Ireland. I am your parliamentarian of the podcast, your colonel of the colonies, the Grand Duke Scott of the Duchy of Florida. This is the Shot and Shield Supercast, dedicated to colonial and 19th century wargaming. Now, if Daddy took a spoonful first himself, Baby might do a patty cake for him. Before I get going today, I want to send out best wishes to friend of the podcast, Keeper Dave and his wife, as they welcome their new baby into the world, Charlotte Diane. He posted a picture of uh, her on Twitter. She is adorable. And Dave and Mrs. Dave, congratulations on behalf of the Shot and Shield Nation. I also wanted to congratulate Edgar and Damien for their success at Recon 2022 in Orlando. I saw the pictures and heard from friends that their Blood and Steel game ran fantastic. Now, I wasn't able to join them because my day job was in a blackout period, and they were sorry they uh, couldn't give me the only days that I asked off for this year. Such a caring company. I am so lucky. <laughs> I'm sorry. Was that Was that too sarcastic? I don't know. Lastly, before I get into uh, what I have planned for you in this episode, I'd like to reiterate the Shot and Shield support for our friends in Ukraine. The folks at Mini Art Models, the folks at Stredlets, friends of the podcast, be safe. And a little bit later, I'll have a list of associations for you that are helping in Ukraine in the event that you're unsure about legitimate organizations, right? All right. So in this episode of the Shot and Shield Supercast, I'll be answering your emails and communications. I'll be doing a movie review for the Tom Selleck classic from 1983, High Road to China. I'm going to be sharing a brush cleaning tip that a friend of the podcast clued me in on. Also in this episode, I'm going to take an objective look at Ascari miniatures. I'm also going to close out my thoughts on Back of Beyond in another installment of Making the Case. I have a new top five for you, a new scenario for you in Scenario Builder. And as always, we'll close out the podcast with a very special audio archaeological discovery. And yes, it's another Errol Flynn moment. Sorry, I'm a fanboy, just the way it is. Oh, that's better. All right, let's get to your emails, questions, and comments right now. Germany calling, London calling, Moscow calling, Washington DC calling, Peking calling, Sydney calling. Message for you, sir. It's time to answer some emails from all around the world. Now remember, you can hit me up on the email, shotandshield at gmail.com. The Twitter is at shotandshield, or in the Facebook group, the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargame Group. A bunch of ways to connect, and also, uh, please note, that I do not edit these to make myself look good or keep critical comments unread. My ego is well in check. I don't take it personally. I appreciate your feedback. Okay, email number one. I got this email from Derek in Los Angeles, California. And Derek writes, Scott, I've been listening to your podcast since December, and for the most part, you do a good job. I have one problem with you. All you do is talk about the men who would be king's game rules. Are you on Osprey's payroll? (laughs) I about fell on the floor when you had the Firelock guys on to talk about a different set of rules. Have you not played any other set of rules? I think if you're going to have a podcast about wargaming, then you should know more than just one set of rules. I'll keep listening because I think you're a good guy, 
but learn more rules, please. <laughs> All right, Derek. You know, I you know, I think that's a fair critique. I really do. I do tend to focus on the men who would be kings maybe a little too much. So I think that's a fair uh, it's a fair critique. But that's all, I got to tell you that's only because it's the wargaming rules that I'm using for my current project, all right? So no, I'm not on Osprey's payroll. But if they'd like to sponsor the show, please email me, uh, shotandshield at gmail.com. <laughs> so let me, be, let me be clear on the war game rules I have used, okay? Uh, for World War II, I started with a set called Angriff. I, I don't even know if they still make it. I tried to uh, Google it just to see if I could find, find it somewhere, and I couldn't even find it on the Google, so it's probably defunct. It was probably defunct when I got it back in the late 70s, okay? Uh, and then I went to Command Decision, and I have to tell you, that game set is is nice, but it's very, very complicated. Uh, at least it was for me at the at the time. And then I found Rapid Fire. And uh, let me tell you something. I love the Orbat in at Rapid Fire. I love the gameplay in Rapid Fire. Uh, it is a great game set for World War II. Um, and, and I would use it for interwar wargaming also. So I, if I get back to World War II... That's I have to tell you that's that's the rule set right there for me. It really it's 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 so nice. Now for Colonial, I started with a set of home rules from a buddy of mine, uh, Steve Barona, who I have not heard from in years and years and years, and he was such a great guy, and we kind of just kind of lost touch, which sucks because he he was a really really great guy. But anyway, he developed uh, an American Civil War game based on Jack Scrubby. And uh, then I went to Sword in the Flame, which is a good rule set. And then finally, I settled on the men who would be kings. And I'm not opposed to other wargaming rules at all. For instance, had my day job not been so corporate and gotten my way and been so job-like, I really would have loved sitting down at Recon in Orlando and playing Blood and Steel with Damien and Edgar. All right. Luckily, I got with the guys and we're going to be, we're going to organize something to where we can do this all together because I... They're such nice guys. I want a game with them. And so that's going to happen. we got to find a time. So again, I'm not against any other rule set. However, Derek, your critique is very fair. So I appreciate your email. Uh, the next email, let's uh, see, this is from Ethan. And he writes, hey, Shada, I hope everything, <laughs> I hope everything is going well for you. I just wanted to follow up on my previous email. Would you be willing to schedule a quick call? At your con at a convenient time today, maybe next week, after your confirmation, I will provide you with a Zoom. A G <laughs> what is this? Did I have this in here? All right, right. Look, so first off, why I don't understand why I get these emails. And if you want to do business with me, I, please. I'm, I'm, I'm game for doing business for the Shot and Shield. I'm game. I got no problem with it, but at least know my name. Scott, not Shotta. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got to tell you, I think in the first email, they say they listen, they love listening to the podcast and listen to the show. They listen all the time. Shada. Really? <laughs> People are dumb. Delete. Oh, my God. That's fantastic. You ever get those? You ever get those emails? That's tough right there. That's tough. Right, I'm going to move on. Uh, this is uh, communication number three. This is a communication uh, with a friend of the podcast, Charlemagne, and he wrote, So I came across this interesting piece while researching the 19th century Persian army. 
and was wondering if anyone knew anything more about this event. The book, apparently he's reading, also mentions that the Russians had specifically made a five-barrel cannon at the base, I guess they were at, so they weren't messing around. Uh, Then he posted this copy of the text of the book he mentions, and it reads, Russia was, in the 1840s, granted permission to build a naval base on the island of Ashurada to protect against the attacks of Turkmen pirates on the Caspian. The base was sacked by the Turkmen's in a surprise attack in 1851. Okay, so this was on Facebook, and this is uh, something that Charlemagne and I were kind of going back and forth on. I thought it might be interesting because if anybody out there in the podcast uh, realm, in the Shot and Shield Nation, you have some information about a five-barrel Russian cannon, get on Twitter, get in the email, get on the Shot and Shield War Games podcast group, right? And, uh, you know, spill the beans, okay? Also in the post, <laughs> and this is, this is what I loved. I, I was, I'm reading it, you know, and I see the words Turkmen Pirate and Caspian Sea. And now I need to know, man. <laughs> I need to know what do they look like? What kind of boats did they use? Please, someone, I, this is a plea to you in the Shot and Shield Nation. Turkmen Pirates on the Caspian Sea. Post anything you have on Facebook or email me, Twitter me, Morse code, homing pigeon, a manatee wearing a UPS uniform. I need to know. I need to know. So please, you know what? Charlemagne and I are waiting with bated breath because we want to know this information. So if anybody has anything, please send it our way. Please. Turkmen pirates? Are you kidding me? On the Caspian Sea? I'm so in. I got to tell you, even if I don't get any information, I'm going to find a boat. I'm going to find a boat, and I'm going to take some odd figures I got, and I'm going to make them into Turkmen pirates. This is good stuff right there. <laughs> All right, let's see. Uh, let's get one more in here. This episode's final email comes from Alan in Silver Springs, Maryland, and he writes, Scott, that was a great interview with Craig Thompson in your last podcast. Can I tell you, Craig is awesome, and his, uh, his painting is awesome. It's still on the Shot and Shield podcast wargaming group site on facebook you gotta check it out it's great stuff and if you have a chance to go back and listen to that interview please do because craig's awesome alan continues here so i was thinking that you painting gurus could help me understand why my paintbrushes split after i clean them and what can i do to prevent it love the show and i do listen while i paint like craig thank you alan alan thank you for the kind words and as far as being a painting guru maybe craig I am certainly not. I will say this. My brushes do the same exact thing. They do. They split. So when I'm painting and I'm watering them out and I'm rinsing them out and everything and moving on to the next, they split. I must go through uh, a ton, a ton of brushes a year. However, I saw this on Twitter. A uh, friend of the podcast, Planet Old Hammer, on Twitter, he suggested this. And it's uh, four things. Okay. One, clean the brush with warm water with either detergent or shampoo, because it's hair after all. That's what he writes. Number two, when you dry, reshape the brush with hair clay or gunk, okay? Third, use the big crease of your of your hand to shape the brush, grip the brush, and rotate it. And voila, it's all set. Now, I got this, and I tried it, and it worked great for me. So it's a tip that I found. I'm passing it along. Please credit Planet Old Hammer on Twitter because that's a great tip. Like I said, it worked for me. And I hope it helps you, Alan. And thank you again for the compliment. Uh, Once again, if you want to email me or contact me, shotandshield at gmail.com. The Twitter, 
at Shot and Shield or on the Facebook group, the Shot and Shield Podcast War Gaming Group. Still ahead, I want to break down and take a look at Ascari Miniatures, and that's next on Shot and Shield. This is Shot and Shield. Oh, oh, honor is satisfied. God clearly preserves you for greatness. Shot and Shield is on social media. There's the Twitter page at Shot and Shield. Please follow. There's a Facebook group, the Shot and Shield Podcast War Gaming Group. It's open to all. Please join and post some of your amazing games, paint jobs, and creations. Finally, the email, Shot and Shield at gmail.com. Email me if you have a question or a thought or even a complaint that you'd like read and answered on the podcast. Shot and Shield is on social media. Shot and Shield, a podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century wargaming. This is Shot and Shield. Are you afraid? Afraid of what? I've seen things like this many times. Looking ahead in the program, Scenario Builder, a top five, a movie review for the 1983 Tom Sella classic, High Road to China. Plus, I'm going to close out my thoughts on Back of Beyond in another installment of Making the Case. But now, I'd like to talk with you about Ascari Miniatures. Uh, By the way, they did not pay me to do this. This is all like off the top of my head, Uh, just talking about this company, okay? I was asked about this a few months ago. Um, and I've been meaning to address it because I'm not sure if Ascari is a, that well known or if uh, something I said in the last, uh, I'm not going to say last episode, but in the pre- a previous episode was misconstrued. So I want to make, I want to make my thoughts clear about Ascari and talk to you about kind of what I have going on. So I, I discovered Ascari miniatures in about, I think, 2011, 2012, when I was transitioning away from 172nd scale or 172nd scale, I should say to 28 millimeter metals. I knew I wanted to war game in Central Asia, uh, the conflict between Russia and England, the great game. So I went looking for Russian colonials. And at that time, I got to tell you, in 28 millimeter, I wasn't really able to find anything except one company that carried them, and that was Ascari Miniatures. They're out of Colorado, okay? Which is here in the States. I had used the funds I had received from selling off my 172nd collection to fund my new 28 millimeter adventure. My first order from Ascari was a bunch of colonial Russians and a bunch of Central Asian Afghans, okay? So I'm like, all right, cool. When I received these miniatures, they were, they were well-packaged. Everything was good. They were, they were really quick on the uh, delivery, so that was cool. I took out the colonial Russians, and I was really happy with them. I saw them. They were nice and clean. Um, the, they, were de- they were detailed, but not overly detailed, because sometimes you can get miniatures, in my opinion, that... They're so overly detailed that it's 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 not fun to paint because you're looking at 5,000 little different colors and everything, and sometimes it's just not enjoyable to paint. But these, really, really nice. They're really clean, good size figures. They're a really nice size, enough detail that, that makes it worth the price because they were a little pricey. And so I was really happy with the Russian Colonials. The Afghans, I'm sorry to say they were a real disappointment. The, the figures kneeling uh, to fire 
were the same size or almost the same size as the figure standing. Matter of fact, if you, the figure that was kneeling was almost 32 to 35 millimeter. There was that big as compared to the 28 millimeter standing figure. The face and the hands, the detail was kind of poor. And in comparison to some other figures that I had, I had gotten from uh, Foundry and Perry's. I blame myself, though, uh, because I didn't look hard enough at the pictures on the Ascari website. They posted it. They put the pictures up there. I don't blame them. I blame myself because I could have looked harder at the figures. And, and, and it, it shows you exactly what they look like. So I definitely don't feel slighted by them at all. And I'll tell you that it seems like, at least it seems like to me, that these figures that Ascari started their company with are fairly poor quality in compared to the figures they're putting out now. For example, the French Foreign Legion is serviceable. It's, it's all right. Their Turigs, very poor, just like the Afghans. However, if you go and look at their new sets, in this case, let's say World War II Italian Army, they look stupendous, crisp and clean and clear and uh, great sculpts. So, look, after my initial purchase of these, uh, of these, these Russian colonials and these Afghans, I'm not going to purchase any more of the Afghans, but I am, and I have, purchased more of the Russian colonials. So I went back to that. And since then, I found other companies that have Russian colonials as well. And you know what? I, you know, I, I've, I've purchased a few here and there, but the bulk of my army, uh, Russian colonial, is going to be from Ascari, okay, just putting it out there. And if I ever go back to WW2, I'm, I'm going to certainly, especially early war, um, desert Ethiopia, Palestine, uh, that's where I'm getting those figures because it's just nice stuff. The new stuff is very, very clean, very nice, uh, very detailed, uh, a, a nice grouping, uh, decent price. So I'll be ordering those when I build up uh, the forces for that, for that conflict because I'll probably go back to WW2, but I'm going to do something a little different. So to sum up, I'm a fan of Ascari miniatures, and I'm, I'm going to keep buying them, like I said. I suggest, though, if you, if you decide to jump in with Ascari miniatures, really take a look at the pictures of their colonial forces before you order. Um, because, like I said, the pictures on the site really tell the, the, the tale. And that way, you won't be like me. And just get, just I'm, I was just excited. I was like, ooh, cool. And I started ordering, and I was like, oh, okay. Maybe I should have done a better job ordering. Um, but anyway, like I said, Ascari... Um, the, the new stuff is so nice. So nice. Uh, with that said, coming up, I think it's time to scenario build. Next on Shot and Shield. This is Shot and Shield. You don't think I, too, dream of peace. You don't think I, too, yearn to end this damn dirty job we call soldiering? Frankly, no. So I'm going to get a little serious for a second. If you're like me and you're disturbed by what's going on in Ukraine, and you're thinking, what can I do? This happens a lot when the world is faced with tragedies like this. You and I have friends in Ukraine, fellow gamers, artists, sculptors, businesses that we've come to know over the years. And outside of wishing them well and hoping they are safe, there are ways you can help. For instance, UNICEF has set up a site to help children. Nova Ukraine helps with humanitarian aid. There is doctorswithoutborders.org, rescue.org, and icrc.org, all of whom are helping people in Ukraine. The one which I most admire is World Central Kitchen, wck.org. They've helped in Haiti, 
in the Middle East, in Asia, anywhere where people need food. And they're set up right now in Ukraine and around Ukraine to help. I'm not using this platform to ask you to help. I'm using this platform to provide you information if you decide you want to help. It's time to get pencil and paper ready. Get out your notebook. Get out your pen. Get out your pencil. Sharpen it. Be ready. It's time for Scenario Builder. Building better worlds. I'd like to thank you for listening to the Shot and Shield Supercast. As I've said in past builders... I use the men who would be king's rules to create these scenarios. You can get a copy of uh, this scenario on the Shot and Shield podcast wargaming group right now. And this scenario is called Just Say No. The objective is for your colonial field force to enter the table, protect the crops that can't be destroyed, then escort the crops off the table. And yes, the crops are opium. Okay, so... I mean, it's, it's, a, it's colonial era. What are you doing? You're killing me. But the object uh, of the opposing force is to burn that crop to the ground and prevent the colonials from exiting the table with the drugs, which will be used to line the pockets of some highfalutin drug lord or something like that. Now, the crop doesn't have to be opium. It could be wheat, corn, marijuana, whatever. I don't really care. It doesn't really matter. But uh, for, the sake, for the sake of the title of the scenario, just say no it makes sense. So here's your points for this scenario. The colonial field force and the tribal field force are both given 30 points each. And you can use them however you want, and there's no restrictions. The colonial field force must enter the table, get to the crop location, defend the crop location for six turns. After the sixth turn, the colonial force must escort and exit the table with the crops. And however you want to represent your crops, you know, leaving the table... Well, that's up to you. You want to use camels, wagons, donkeys, whatever. You can use whatever you want that represents the crops being transported. They have no value other than being burned, okay? The tribal field force must defeat the colonial force in order to prevent the crops from leaving the table. If the colonial field force's morale fails, the retreating units give up the crops. The crops must be escorted by at least one unit that's not moraled out in order to continue to move with the colonial forces. Okay, so you get me? You feeling it? Once again, this scenario is pinned on the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargaming Facebook group. And if you have any questions on it, feel free to ask me in the comment section of that post. There you go. It's easy. The episode scenario, just say no. Up next, Shot and Shield goes to the movies. Next. This is Shot and Shield. Oh, damn. Shot and Shield is on social media. There's the Twitter page, at Shot and Shield. Please follow. There's a Facebook group, the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargaming Group. It's open to all. Please join and post some of your amazing games, paint jobs, and creations. Finally, the email, shotandshield at gmail.com. Email me if you have a question or a thought or even a complaint that you'd like read and answered on the podcast. Shot and Shield is on social media. This is Shot and Shield. I'm waiting for an explanation. A podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century wargaming. It looks bad in the newspapers and upsets civilians at their breakfast. This is Shot and Shield. 
still ahead on this episode of the Shot and Shield Supercast, the top five, audio archaeology, and making the case. But now it's time to go to the movies. Shot and Shield. What are you looking at? It's time for Shot and Shield Movie Review. In this episode, I take a look at the 1983 TV movie classic, High Road to China. Now, if, you, if you've done any sort of pulp or back and beyond wargaming, then you may already know this movie. But I tried to take a look at these movies to see what we can squeeze out of them that might help us with our wargame. <laughs> Very funny! Look at my plane! You wrecked it! It was always a wreck, O'Malley. High Road to China stars Tom Selleck, Bess Armstrong, John Weston, Brian Blessed, Brian Blessed's fantastic beard, Robert Morley, Wilford Brimley, Wilford Brimley's fantastic mustache, and Wolf Kaler. This movie is chock full of character actors. Robert Morley is always wonderful in that unassuming, manipulative, bad guy way. Brian Blessed is always awesome in that over-the-top way. He's one of those actors that you can't hold back in the, in the over-the-topness. He just is. Every time he shows up, it's like big and bold and in your face. Wolf Kaler, very unsung hero of this movie and most movies he's in. He's always good as that German liaison officer. He did it in Raiders of the Lost Ark, Firefox, Force 10 from Navarone. He played King of Bohemia in uh, a Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes. This guy is so German, it's unreal. He plays the same role in High Road to China. Then you got Wilford Brimley, who is, it's, I got to tell you, it's kind of hard to watch without thinking of diabetes. Those commercials, right? Every time he comes on, it's like diabetes. You can choose to feel sorry for yourself. I hope you don't. <laughs> okay, I get it. Bess Armstrong, she plays the spunky but annoying love interest uh, of Tom Selleck. And Tom Selleck, of course, what can you say? He's Tom Selleck. I like Tom Selleck. He's okay. He's not bad in... Look, he's not bad in movies. He's just not a movie guy. I don't see him and go, oh, he's a movie guy. He's a TV guy. He was good in Magnum P.I., he was great as Eisenhower, right? He's really good in Blue Bloods. I mean, but does, does anybody look at Three Men and a Baby and say, wow, he must be playing the man? Are you with me? I mean, the one thing he has done, he's convinced me that reverse mortgages aren't going to screw me. So I'm really happy that uh, Tom Selleck is around. But if you're going to watch him a movie, uh, it, it's, it's not as good as it is when he's on TV. So I'll tell you this. High Road to China is the same deal. I saw it in the theaters when it first came out, and I thought it sucked. Okay, I really did. And then I saw it on TV, and it was it was better. It was better than it was in the theaters. All right? The movie's premise is simple. Bess Armstrong hasn't heard from her industrialist father, Wilford Brimley, diabetes, in three years. Brimley's business partner, Robert Morley, wants him declared dead so he could take over the business. Armstrong hires a drunk WW1 fighter ace, Tom Selleck, and his happy-go-lucky mechanic, 
Weston, to go with her to China to find her dad and bring him back before Morley succeeds in stealing the family business. Why can't we wait? What for? He wants you to go. He can handle all this without us. Tim, it's just a turkey shoot. He's just saying that to protect me and to make us leave. No, I'm not going without him, and that's final. Final? Yes. Final? You're nuts. I said it all along. You're nuts. And now that I met your father, I can understand why. Blood. Bad blood. Shenanigans take place, hijinks happen, Selleck and Armstrong hate each other at the beginning of the movie, but then fall in love. Then there's some fighting with Chinese warlords. There's some biplane air combat and a happy ending. Good guys win, bad guys lose. And Brian Blessed plays an Afghan warlord is awesome. Overall, as a movie, it's not Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it's way better than Romancing the Stone, which still gives me an uncomfortable trips to the bathroom. I just can't do Romancing the Stone. It's not a good movie. Sorry. So how does this relate to wargaming? Well, in my last bonus episode, guest Jason Weiser from Military Miniature suggested this movie when we were talking about Back and Beyond. And he said, well, hold on for a second. Here, I'll, it just this is what he said. It's, you know, high road to China. It's, well, you know. Road, hold, hold, hold on. High road to China? You mean that, uh, that movie with Tom Selleck, right? Right. Yes. That exact one. <laughs> Underrated film. It's Indiana Jones light, Jason. Yes, exactly. It's, uh. you know, I'm sorry, but to me, you know, you cannot go wrong. So I thought, you know what? Let me go back and revisit this movie. Maybe I missed something. <sighs> I didn't. I really wasn't able to get a lot of wargaming material out of this. Maybe a scenario, maybe two scenarios, but that's about it. And I grade these movies on my pith helmet scale. One pith helmet, not good. Two pith helmets, it's okay. Three pith helmets is decent. Four pith helmets is really good. And five pith helmets is excellent and a must-see. So High Road to China kind of wasted my time, so please don't waste yours. I give it two pith helmets. You know, if you really are, like, desperate... It's a two, it's a two pith helmet, you know, uh, it, and I almost didn't do this movie review because I wanted to give you something that you could get something out of, but I got to tell you, to be fair, if I had to waste my time and see it, I, I think I probably, you, I'm going to make you suffer too. That's it. <laughs> uh, no, it's only fair, right? Uh, I'm sorry. Okay, so let's drop that and move on and take a look at the top five. That's next on Shot and Shield. And the Lord spake, saying, Shalt thou count to three? No more, no less. Three shall be the number thou shalt count, and the number of the counting shall be three. Four shalt thou not count, neither count thou two, excepting that thou then proceed to three. It is time for the top five reveal. Five? is right up. Right. So before I give you the new top five, let's take a look at last episode's top five and see what you said was your wargaming rule set of choice for 19th century and colonial wargaming. Now, I did exclude Blood and Steel from this because it, it was just starting to come out and it's not fair to have that involved. So I took that out altogether. Now, if we ask this question in like five months, definitely going to get it in there. And I have a feeling that a lot of you are going to put it on the list. All right. So here we go, your top five for wargaming rule sets of choice for 19th century and colonial wargaming. Here we go. Number five, 
Sharps Practice. Number four, The Sword and the Flame. Number three, Black Powder. Number two, Rebels and Patriots. And now, voted number one as your go-to wargaming rule set for the 19th century and colonial wargaming... the men who would be kings. Now, obviously, this is not scientific, and as long as you're playing, that's the most important part, right? So now, let's reveal the new question, the brand spanking new top five question for you to vote on, for you to climb to the mountaintop, shout it out, let your voice be heard. This episode's question is, what miniature scale are you most comfortable playing? 54 millimeter, 28 millimeter, 20 millimeter, 15 millimeter, 172nd, it's a simple question. What miniature scale are you most comfortable playing? You can answer that right now on the Shot and Shield uh, Facebook group, Shot and Shield Podcast War Game group on Facebook. You can answer that. It's a pin survey. You just go in there and uh, click your... You know what? If you have a suggestion, you have a different, uh, a different size, feel free to put it up there, okay? Do it right now. Shot and Shield Podcast War Gaming group on Facebook. The question, what miniature scale are you most comfortable playing? There you go. Still ahead, I'll be making the case on Shot and Shield. But first, what are you waiting for? Come on, come on. Shot and Shield, your colonial wargaming podcast. The 19th century ended amid the glories of the Victorian era. Shot and Shield, a podcast dedicated to wargaming the colonial era. In those aristocratic Victorian days, when, as Disraeli said, the world was for the few and for the very few. The views expressed during Shot and Shield are the hosts and only meant to be taken seriously if you feel it's necessary. Good luck against those elephants. Can I just say that this episode is like packed? I don't have an interview guest for this episode. Um, and I, I still have audio archaeology still ahead with an ancient radio discovery. And also, right now, it's time for Making the Case. I'm here to do a job, nothing more. You are a name, a file, and a case number. That is all. It's time to make the case. As you know, over the last month, I've been trying to define back of beyond wargaming. A lot of you probably already have this in hand, but for me to game something or me to think about something or me to cover something or me to talk about something, I got to have conceptualized in my head what it actually means. I have to be able to put nuts and bolts together. And back and beyond has always like stumped me. It's, it's messed me up because it looks cool and it's something that you want to play, but you kind of don't know what it is. At least in my case, I didn't know what it was. So this is, you, you probably already know, and you're probably already comfortable with it. So you're just listening to my journey of discovery. <laughs> but I have been, I've been talking to people on Twitter, on Facebook, and during interviews last month, you know, I asked two of my guests uh, what Back and Beyond meant to them. And this is what uh, Jason Weiser, the editor-in-chief of Military Miniature, said. To me, Back of Beyond is the Mongolian steppes. It's Siberia. 
Siberia. It's the you know leavings of the Russian Civil War. The 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 whites who got away one step ahead of the Bolshevik Bolsheviks and their commissars making trouble along the Russian Chinese border. It's Chinese warlords running around causing all types of their own mayhem. It's you know American and British mercenaries from the who were veterans of the First World War who have nowhere else to go and nothing to do, you know, so they've hired themselves out. It's it's everything and anything. It's Indiana Jones. It's, you know, high road to China. So there's that. Jason Weiser, the editor-in-chief of Military Miniature, that's what he had to say. I was also joined in my last uh, Supercast by Craig Thompson, painter extraordinaire. And you can see his stuff uh, online. I got it pinned on the Shot and Shield podcast Wargaming group site. And this is what he had to say about Back of Beyond. Hmm. So this is kind of how I ended up doing World War One in Persia, because I decided I wanted to take a big project on. I looked at what I got and I thought, well, you know, back end of last year, I'd been painting some modern, relatively modern um, US forces for Vietnam. And I'd got a jungle built and other things. And I thought, well, that would be a good thing to do. I could do some Backer Beyond. I've got the jungle. I've got some huts. You know, that would be a good starting point. And I looked at it and I thought, yeah, Backer Beyond. What, what is Backer Beyond? And like you, I, you can get a definition, but it doesn't really get the flavor of the period or what it is. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to just do Russians versus Chinese or Russians versus Japanese or whatever. To me, I wanted to do something that had a bit more flavor to it. Um and I think people tend to go down the back of beyond being Russia and China and Tibet, because frankly, that's what's in the market. You know, if you look at it, you can go and buy your Russian figures, you can buy your Chinese bandits, you know, there's there's plenty of model makers out there doing suitable terrain. If you said to somebody, okay, what models are you going to use for Armenians? Right. Okay. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's a bit right. more tricky. Um now that and then, you know, to... just as a note real quick, that's not to take away from the no, Russians no, no, and, the, and, the, and the Mongolians or Tibetans or, or Chinese at all. It's just kind of defining what the whole idea of back of beyond is. In your mind, you've, you've said, you know what, World War I in Persia at the back end of World War I, because it's, it's not just 1917, but it's 1917 through past uh, Versailles. Yeah, I think I wanted something that was accessible, but um, I also wanted to do something that was different. You know, we've all seen 101 World War One games in the trenches in, in Northern Europe. Um, we've all seen Gallipoli, you know, but I wanted to do something where I could grab a box of Perry tribal militia and build them and do them in crazy colours. Or I could do, you know, include some Russians if I wanted to, some Cossacks, um, because they were in... Uh, Persia but I wanted the option as well to say well yeah, okay Persia itself is there but this goes all the way through up through you know Georgia and into the the southern edges of Russia um yeah and and beyond so Craig Thompson painter extraordinaire that's what he had to say he was on the uh, last supercast so let's go to another resource from the Britannica dictionary I know it sounds stupid but you know sometimes dictionary is a decent thing back and beyond means a place that is very far from other places and people. A lonely, forsaken place. Copplestone Miniatures have done a great job. They got a whole line of figures 
known as the Back of Beyond uh, line. And they offer up Russians, Tibetans, Chinese, Mongolians, right? And all that, uh, the Russians, Tibetans, Chinese, Mongolians, all that area right there is lonely, forsaken place. It's, a, it's far from other places. There's other places out there. And I see, the, you know, I, I see it. I see it in my head now. Just as Britannica, uh, the Britannica Dictionary defined it, a place that is very far from other places and people, a lonely, forsaken place. Mongolia, Tibet, Bukhara, definitely faraway places. But so is the Caucasus and Madagascar and Antarctica and Djibouti and Patagonia, far away from London, Berlin, Paris, Rome, Vienna, Washington, Moscow. How far is far enough? That's, that's for you to decide. But for me, I'm making the case that back of beyond means any industrialized force attempting to bring an out-of-the-way peoples into their zone of influence. If those people uh, or areas are not on the traditional trading routes or the traveling routes of an industrialized forces area, and they're going you know, out of their way, they're going back of beyond to a lonely and forsaken place, that to me is back of beyond. I believe uh, this also takes place during the interwar period because that's the only real out-of-the-way kind of s- segment because most of the modern world, the modern era, has already been researched and addressed, has been found. Back in 1820, everything was a lonely, forgotten place. But in the interwar period, not so much. But Bukhara, the Caucasus, Madagascar, Antarctica, Patagonia, Djibouti, Tibet, Mongolia, definitely out of the way forsaken places. Now, one other thing. I keep back of beyond as part of this show because, in my opinion, it's a type of colonial wargaming. You have the 19th century. It is vast. It is wide. There is a lot to go. There's a lot of history there. Colonialism, you have a lot of history there. And I don't think colonialism ends, you know, at the start of World War I. I think colonial ends... Uh, the colonialism ends, you know, before World War II. So that's why I keep it in shot and shield. There, I've made the case. This is shot and shield. Good luck against those elephants. From the land of the audio to the world of the visual, the shot and shield podcast is on YouTube. I use YouTube for supplementary information, such as watch-along videos, documentaries of interest, movies that I find that uh, best represent colonial or 19th century inspirations or gaming, and eventually video from interviews that I've uh, already done and that you've heard on the podcast. Just search out, in parentheses, Shot and Shield. You got to put the parentheses in there, parentheses, Shot and Shield, and parentheses, and you'll find it on the YouTube. There's also a link on the podcast info page. So check it out and subscribe to Shot and Shield on YouTube. Hey, what the blazes is this? A podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century wargaming. All right, Marines. Nice punch. This is Shot and Shield. Shield. It's time for the last segment 
in today's episode of the Shot and Shield Supercast. As I, Phineas J. Scott, audio archaeologist, having traveled the four corners of the globe through jungles, deserts, and mountains to discover amazing pieces of work for you, from 1937, the Lux Theater and Cecil B. DeMille present British Agent, about a minor agent played by Errol Flynn. I told you, I'm a fanboy. Anyway, this happens just before the revolution in Russia. It's very back of beyond. Please enjoy. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Errol Flynn's early career was charted with a compass. He came to Hollywood through the tropic tempests of the South Seas, where he was captain of a trading schooner, while Francis Farmer, who hails from Seattle, arrived here by way of Russia. A descendant of Fletcher Christian, who led the mutiny on the bounty, Errol has been an officer in charge of native constabulary, a pearl and coral fisher, a beachcomber, and a member of England's boxing team in the 1928 Olympics. For a time in Australia, he was also a bottle smeller. This odd pursuit consisted of whipping bottles to see if any odors remained after washing. Once he led a film, exped- uh, uh, a film expedition to the land of New Guinea. The natives were headhunters, but they shot Errol in the ankle. Returning to New Guinea to dig for gold, he made a small fortune, quickly spent it, bought a boat, and with three friends duplicated the voyage made by Captain Bly of the Bounty up the inner passage of the Great Barrier Reef from Sydney to the South Seas. Back in Australia... Errol had his first taste of picture acting, made a second film in England, and was soon on Warner Brothers' payroll. He has written one book and many short stories. He's here tonight in the part of Stephen Locke. Frances Farmer developed her talent for acting while a student at the University of Washington, where she helped pay her way by ushering in a theater, tutoring, waiting on table, and working in a department store. To her great surprise, she won a contest sponsored by a Seattle newspaper, the, tribe, the, the prize being a trip to Russia. On the way back, she met a theatrical producer who introduced her to a film executive in New York. Frances made her screen test, won a contract, and returned home a Paramount player. Her next picture is exclusive, and we hear her tonight as Elenia. Our play is based on the Warner Brothers film suggested by Bruce Lockhart's best-selling autobiography of the same title. So up goes our coast-to-coast curtain, and the Lux Radio Theater presents British Agent, starring Errol Flynn and Frances Farmer. of Petrograd. The dawn of the Russian Revolution, October 1917. On the steps of the British Embassy in Petrograd, a young man watches the mounting fury of the Russian Civil War. A screaming hysterical mob sweeps through the streets, driven on by the lashing whips of the mounted police. Suddenly, a girl breaks from the crowd and comes stumbling through the shrubbery. She falls to her knees. The young man darts from the steps and catches her in his arms. Steady there. Let me go. Please. It's all right. I'm not going to hurt you. Where are you running to? Oh, please. They are chasing me. Let me go. Well, you're safe here. Look. Get behind that hedge. Hurry, come. Hurry, come. Don't move. What are you doing in here? I am of the police. That woman. She shoots at me. My arm. Well, you've no right to meet, Brown. This is the British Embassy. British territory, do you understand? Now get I, out. I take her. She shoot me. Did you hear me? This is British territory. Get out, I said. Well, 
It's all right now. He's gone. Thank you. I am quite sure you saved my life. Tough customer, wasn't it? Still, you can't blame him for being a bit annoyed, you know. After all, you did take a shot at him. He deserved it. Well, he got it. Well, I had better go. After all, I am trespassing on British territory, too. Well, you can't go out there until this row blows over. Blows over? This is not just a street riot. It is the revolution. Tomorrow, the red government will be in power. Oh, oh. And the day after that, the white, eh? Then the green and so on. Perhaps you do not know a great deal about it, eh? Well, perhaps not, but I'm trying to. Oh, uh, perhaps we should introduce ourselves. My name's Locke, Stephen Locke, British Embassy. How do you do? Fine, thank you. And you? Forgive me, but I am keeping you out here in the cold. Had not you better go in before you get pneumonia? Oh, I risk the cold. But, well, I suppose I'd better go in and let them know I'm still alive. Look, you can slip out the side gate there. It's clear now. Thank you. Good night. Good luck. Mr. Locke, I'm glad you've come in, sir. I was beginning to worry about you. Oh, well, thanks, Evans. Sir Walter has been asking for you. He wants to see you at once, sir. Oh, right. In the library? Yes, sir. Evening, Sir Walter. Uh, oh, oh, Locke. Uh, oh, yes, yes. Come in, come in. Evans said you wanted to see me, sir. Yes, sit down, Locke. Nasty business, this. The revolution? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. From all indications, the Russian government will fall before the week is out. It places us in a rather uncomfortable position, Locke. I might even say a precarious position. Yes, quite so. If and when the government falls, we have orders from London to close the embassy. Close the embassy? Yes, move out. Bag and baggage back to England. I see. However, we plan to leave someone behind. Someone who understands the situation here. And who will act as a sort of unofficial observer. Well, sir? I have recommended you. Oh, well, thank you, sir. I thought I'd let you know a little beforehand. That'll give you plenty of time to make plans. Yes, just what are my duties, be, sir? Well, frankly, I'm not quite sure. But you'll be informed in time, though. But whatever they are, my boy, you'll need your wits about you every minute of the day and night. Now, you'll be alone here, entirely on your own. It won't be an easy job. It may be a dangerous one. Do you still want it? Well, never, sir. Good boy. We'll have a long talk before I leave. Russian government crumbles. Lenin heads new Russian state. Company flees new Russian state. Bolsheviks in power, paper. Man seeks separate peace with Germany. French, Italian, British embassies closed. British embassy closed. Lord, and don't I know it. Evans, this place is like a tomb. Can't we get some heat in here? Yes, sir. I'll see to it, sir. No message from England yet? Not a word, sir. Will you have your tea now, sir? Well, yes, thanks. I may as well have something to do, I suppose. Oh, uh, Mr. Tita Del Valle of the Italian Legation called, sir. He wanted to know if you dined this evening with Monsieur Lafarge and Mr. Medill of the American Red Cross. <laughs> Del Valle, Lafarge. Medill and Lot, the four lost souls of Russia. The only one who knows why he's here is Medill, and he's not sure. Oh, uh, I said you'd go with them, sir. The Gypsy Cafe. It will rest your nerve. You have been a bit jumpy, sir, the last few weeks. Well, why wouldn't I be jumpy? It's enough to give a man the jitters sitting here day after day doing nothing when everybody else in the world is either fighting or working for his country. God, they even let old ladies knit socks. Listen to that. For days they've been going by, Russian soldiers back from the front. Every one of them that leaves makes England's position that much weaker. All I can do is stand in a window and watch them go by. They also serve who stand and wait. Wait? Wait for what? Your tea, sir. Oh, oh yes. Thanks, Evans. 
Come on, cheer up, Locke. You've got a face a yard long. It can't be as bad as that. Sorry, madam. Well, look at me. In the same boat as you, Stefan. Boat, Tito. Boat. <laughs> in the same boat, yes. Waiting for word from my home office. And Lefort's here, too. Oh, me? I only wait for a visa on my passport. Well, I'd like to know who's going to do it for you. There's no one left here. Oh, looking for someone, Locke? No, I was looking at someone. I say, wait a bit, will you, fellas? Back in a few minutes. Uh-huh, you see? That girl who just came in. He is going to speak to her. He knows her, maybe, eh? I wonder if he knows the man who came in with her. Why? Who is the man? Pavlov, head of the Chaka, the Russian secret police. Hmm, I have heard of that one. Who hasn't? Well, how do you do? Oh, the Englishman. Yes, the lady of the garden. Eh? Oh, you remember me. Oh, uh... This is Mr. Pavlov. Pavlov, Mr. Mr. Stephen Locke, is it not? Yes. How do you do, sir? I don't seem to recall where we met. No, we've never met. You will excuse me a moment, please. There's someone over there I must speak with. Yes, of course. Thank you. Sit down, Mr. Locke. Tell me, did you uh, catch cold that night? Well, I sneezed once and then decided against it. You see, with your revolution going on, I didn't know if I'd ever get my handkerchief back from the laundry. <laughs> and I thought you had gone back to England with the others. Oh, no. The embassy left in such a hurry, they forgot me and one old umbrella. Do you come here often? Every night. I sit in the embassy all day and here every night. But haven't you anything to do? Not a blessed thing. My orders were to consider myself embalmed. You know, I've been sitting for the last month watching you Russians negotiating for a separate peace. Not making a move, not even presenting an argument against it. And why should you? Suppose England were in a war where she had more men mobilized than any other nation on either side as Russia has. More than the United States and England put together. And suppose Englishmen were fighting with shells filled with sawdust. And suppose England's mortality rate was higher than any of the other nations as Russia's is. You put England in Russia's place. What would you want England to do? Just exactly what England would do. Keep right on fighting. Exactly. Committing stupid murder and calling it English idealism. We have ideals in England And now. so have we. But at least I am fighting for ours. I see. And I sit safely in the embassy, letting others fight for me, eh? Oh, I did not mean it that way. Oh, I know. You know, I'm getting as touchy on this subject as an old maiden lady about her pies. Forgive me, will you? I've been sitting down and vigorously doing nothing for so long, it's getting on my nerves. Look, let's get out of here and get some air, can we? I'm even sick of the smell of this place. Oh, I would like to, but... But, Pablo... Oh, yes, that's right. We will go anyway. Come on, we will have to hurry. I do not want to explain. we going someplace in particular? No, just driving. Where? Well, what's the difference? We can't go far enough to get out of Russia. If I had a job in a country I did not like, do you know what I would do? Go home? Yes. So would I. But suppose you had a job in a country you did like, and you were anxious to keep it from making a mistake, but your hands were tied, then what would you do? I would be very grateful they were tied so that they could not meddle in other people's business. And I would try to forget it by talking of something else. Uh-huh. Well, what, for instance? The moon up there? <laughs> I think not. Stars? No. Music? No. Us? No. Yes. Why are you stopping? Well, I can't drive and kiss you at the same time. You should not have done that. 
I suppose you think me a little presumptuous, eh? A little. But at least it's helped to change the subject. Oh, oh, oh. so you're bored. No, eh? but I am cold. Take me home, please. But I'll see you again. May I? You you want to? Yes. Tomorrow? So soon. Wish we could make it sooner. Tomorrow's a long time. More coffee? Elena? Thank you. Oh, I really should be going. It is very late. Oh, no. Not yet. Stand cheer me up. Oh, you're not very flattering. I've been here all evening, and now you want cheering up. Oh, that's just an excuse. I don't know what I'd have done without you these last few days. Thank you. Why do you look at me like that? You know, Elena, if I were a sculptor, I'd model a head of you and call it Joan of Arc. You have that kind of beauty. I think I'd model you standing... Oh, no, I wouldn't. Why, to think of you as Joan of Arc would be to think of losing you as a martyr and not keeping you as a woman. <laughs> I think you are a little mad, Stefan. Think so? I do not understand you. Well, for the first time in my life, I don't understand myself. I think I'm in love with you, Elena. Well, that is impossible. Is it? Oh, please do not let me go, Stefan. Afraid? Yes. With me? No, no, for us. That kiss would be the beginning of something that we would both regret. Would you regret loving people? Yes. When you know you have to part. But must we part? Oh, you know we must. Our lives are devoted to following two ideals, Stefan, leading us in opposite directions. That means that sooner or later we must, must say goodbye. Delania, if I weren't English and you weren't Russian, that'd make a difference, wouldn't it? Yes. And can't we pretend, then? Pretend? Yes, that there's no war, no revolution. That we're just two people, unattached and free. Free to love each other, if we wanted to. Mr. Farr. You do want to. You do, don't you, Lenny? So much. Darling. Who is it? I beg pardon, sir. May I see you a moment, please? Right. It's important. Excuse me, then. Of course. Well, Evans? Dispatch from London, sir. From London? Get my decoding book. Have it, sir. Right here, sir. Well, let's see now. His Majesty's government has appointed you unofficial representative. Unofficial representative in Russia. Unofficial? Now, what the blazes does that mean? Anyway, you've been appointed, sir. We look to you to do all in your power to prevent signing of a separate peace with Germany. This does not convey recognition of Russia, but commissions you to act only as an individual. We cannot be responsible for your safety or your decision, but await your recommendations. At last, Evans. It's wonderful, sir. It's the greatest diplomatic mission of the whole war. We've got to keep the Russians fighting on the Eastern Front. <laughs> How do you think I'll find the ambassadorial bed, Evans? The roomy thing, sir. A bit large, but comfortable. Evans, I appoint you Lord High Chancellor of the Bedchamber. Lord High Keeper of the Keys. Lord High... Uh, well, Lord High, anything you like. In short, you're Poobar, Evans. Thank you, sir. I'll see the War Commission tomorrow. Talk them out of signing that peace treaty. This is the chance of a lifetime. But there's one thing. They mustn't know I'm unofficial. Oh, no, sir. Now, let's see you. Oh, Lady, I'm sorry. It is all right. I was just going. Well, I'll see you home. Oh, please do not bother. You must be busy. Well, I am rather, darling. You understand. Of course. Good night. Good night. 
I'll call you tomorrow. Yes. Please do, Stefan. Mr. Locke? Yes? You have just promised this commission England's trade and recognition, in return for which Russia is to continue supporting the Allied armies at the front. Exactly. Uh, tell us, Mr. Locke, on whose authority do you do this? Well, I represent England. You lie, Mr. Locke. You represent England only unofficially. Your purpose in coming here was to delay the making of a separate peace. You spoke well, but only expressed the opinion of one of England's many private citizens. Seems that you know something of my affairs, gentlemen. May I ask how you know? It is our business to know many things. You are excused, Mr. Locke. We advise you to leave Russia as soon as possible. One moment, please. Gentlemen, it's quite true I am here only in an unofficial capacity. But allow me some time to communicate with London. What for? I tell my government that in return for your not opening peace negotiations, I've promised you immediate help. Money, ammunition, troops. My government will back me up. I know it. Well, gentlemen? We will allow you three weeks, Mr. Locke. We must be assured, however, that during that time, England will do nothing to hinder our government. I pledge England to that, sir. Send your communication. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. We shall keep our promise, Mr. Locke. Let us hope that you keep yours and those you have made for England. I think England's integrity is well known, sir. Good day, gentlemen. Remember, Mr. Locke? Three weeks. Well, sir, how did it come out? Oh, badly, Evans. They knew I was acting unofficially. They knew it? But how were... Uh... Yes. Oh. That's how they knew it. She told them. Who's there? The fox. Oh, it's you. You said you would call. I, I had to come to see you. What for? Come to ingratiate yourself again so that you can betray another confidence? Oh, no, no. Don't deny it. You were here when that dispatch came. You overheard what I said. You told them. How else could they know? I had no intention of denying it, Stefan. It was my duty. Really? And I suppose last night when you... You said you loved me. That was all in the line of duty, too, was it? Last night was beautiful. So beautiful that what you said just now will not even spoil the memory of it. Goodbye, Stefan. Oh, no, wait, Elena. I'm sorry. I didn't mean what I said. Come here, darling. Oh, dearest. Poor foolish Elena. You believe so strongly in your ideals, don't you? Don't you see how wrong they are? What my ideal is peace. Peace and the happiness for Russia. You call that wrong? It must be wrong to let down one's friends. There must be loyalty between nations. This separate peace, it's, 
It's a rank betrayal. You mean that England will be inconvenienced because Russia refuses to share the burden of England's war? No, we're fighting for the world. Oh, you think your country is the world? Well, at any rate, we kept on fighting when the Russians threw down their guns and ran away like a lot of frightened dogs. Yeah, what? Lania. Oh, Mustafa. Why did I do that when I love you so? Darling, I suppose. Because we just aren't big enough to see over our ideals. Lania. <laughs> After promising help to the Russian government, Stephen waits to hear from his home office in London. Waits with growing anxiety for the official confirmation of his promises. It's late evening, near the end of his three weeks of grace. Alone in his study, Stephen paces the floor nervously. The door swung open, and Elenia stands on the threshold. Elenia, you shouldn't have come here. With your car's watching me, they may suspect you. Something has happened, Stiffa. I wanted to tell you, rather than have you humiliated by learning it from them. What are you talking about? British troops under General Poole landed on Russian soil this afternoon. Right then. That's the answer to my telegram. I've won. No, no, Stiffa. You have lost. What do you mean? They have come to fight against the revolution. But they... They couldn't do that. I promised it. It is true. I saw the official telegram. Why, then England? England betrayed you. This perfect country of yours, in spite of all its high ideals, ruined your career, humiliated you before the world. You see, it was you who were a little foolish, Stefan. Not a bit of it. One's either useful or one isn't. My career. What's that when men are dying by hundreds in the trenches every day? England hasn't let me down. I let her down. I knew the promises I made were lies. I just wanted to delay that separate piece, that's all. I, n I never sent that telegram. Oh. You better go now. You'll only get in trouble being here. You will not see me again, Stefan. Not see you? The government is moving to Moscow. Naturally, I go with it. We shall not see one another, Stefan. Even in Moscow. You think more of your duty than you do of me, eh? Yes. And I worship you. That is why we must not go on together. It would kill the most beautiful thing I'll never know, our love. And I wanted to live. Oh, do not see me again, please. Goodbye, Stefan. Goodbye, Lane. Drop that grip right here, Evans. Yes, Mr. Locke. Open the windows, will you? It's stuffy. Yes, sir. Well, Pooba, make yourself at home, because this is it. That is, until the checker asks me what the blazes I'm doing in Moscow. I might ask, sir. What are you doing here? <laughs> I'm not exactly certain. All I know is that the government's here. I've a hunch that if I can establish some sort of a contact with them, they might be coerced, wheedled, or tempted back into the war somehow. That, 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 that was the doorbell, sir. Was it? That rather tinkling noise, do you mean? Uh, what, uh, uh, what do you suppose it means, sir? Well, probably someone wants to be let in. Uh, that must be it, sir. Welcome to Moscow, Evan. Mr. Medill and Monsieur Lafarge. Hello, 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 Hello Medill Lafarge, Tito. How do you know I was here? Oh, we have spies, eh? <laughs> sure, we've been here a week already. Well, sit down, sit down. Look, I'll take up a drink for you. Uh, no time, Locke. What? No time for a drink? Uh, we are in a hurry. What's the matter? 
Perhaps you had better close the door. Yes, Evans. Yes. Well? I suppose you know the Tsar has been assassinated. Oh, yes, sir. It's hardly news right now. Well, an attempt is being made to reorganize the White Army. What? By whom? There are two Lepage officers here. Zvobodu and an Irishman Callahan from the south. That sounds? They need money, as usual. A White Army? To fight the revolution? If they win, they'll put Russia back into the war. You'd like that, Locke? Like it. I could ask my government for five million francs. Uh, we thought perhaps uh, you... Uh... No, I have no government funds at my command. You could give Callahan a draft on London. Yes, I could. It's a long chance, of course, but... And very unhealthy if we're caught. Well? Where are these men now, Zabordo and Callahan? They've got a hideout in the garret. We've been using it as headquarters. It's the only place in Moscow that has a keyhole without a spy Zia nestled in it. Fight. Take me there. It's the only thing left to do. Fight. Okay. And a revolution starts in Russia. White army reorganized. Mutiny breaks out in Russian ranks. Mutiny in Russia. Carl seeks to suppress new mutiny. Russian secret police hot leaders. You sent for me, Pavlo? Yes, Elena. Sit down here. You're tired? A little. We cannot stop now, you know that. Why did you want to see me? It's about your friend, the Englishman. Oh. You have seen him since he came to Moscow? No. No. Why, Pablo? We have reason to believe that he's supporting Zvobodu and Callahan. And why are you so sure of that? At any rate, he's being credited with it. And you... you want a scapegoat? We must have sufficient evidence to arrest him. What do you want me to do? Obtain that evidence. If he's arrested now, he will only be deported. Later, he will be shot. You see, you'll be saving his life. Is that an order? It is. I have no choice, then. You are familiar enough with his habits to present yourself to a certain lettish officer named Callahan. Give him this check. Tell him it's from Locke. Demand a receipt in full for all monies paid to Callahan by Locke so far. If the receipt is over the amount of the check, it will prove that Locke has contributed other money. Your knowledge of Locke and the gift of the check should be sufficient to convince Callahan that you're an accomplice of Locke's, and you will have the evidence. I hope you're wrong, Pablo. But if you are not, you will have it. Tonight? No, no. Tomorrow morning. Well, we do. Have you got it? Who's it from, man? Message from Kramalov. You better decode it, Locke. Let me see it. What does it say? Wait a minute. Well, Krumov's failed. The mutiny's been suppressed in Kiev. That's nice. That makes everything just fine, doesn't it? Our last hope is that Tito Delval has been able to find Zabordo. He's holding the cadets in line. Uh, if he doesn't, there's only one place we'll find this little rebellion. And that's up the flu. That's Lenin. He's the brains of the government. If he'd only make one mistake, relax his grip for 24 hours, the whole government would go to pieces. Yeah. And a nice earthquake with a tidal wave would help, too, if you want to talk in terms of long shot. It's Tito. Open the door. Ah, come I, I ran all the way from the station. Well, did you find Zaboru? Yes. Dead. What? Dead. Our last chance. Now what do we do? I don't know. I don't know. You'd better get some sleep, Locke. You're on the verge of talking to yourself. Yes, I'll get along. Back to my rooms. Sure. <laughs> you know, there's an old American proverb. When you're behind the eight ball, there's nothing to do but sit there and wait for the break. Go ahead, Locke. <laughs>
Who's that? Lena. Is it you? I have been waiting for you. Lena, I wanted you to be here too. I need you. Oh, do not say that. Don't. It's true. Everything else has gone to pieces. You're the only thing that's left to me. Almost oh, stop, Stefan. You don't know what you're saying. Oh, yes, I do. I've made a mess of everything, Elena. England backed the wrong horse, all right, when she gave me this job. <laughs> I need a lot of cheering up this time. I have not come to cheer you, Stefan. I cannot do that, ever. You are here, darling. That's all I ask. Stefan, if only you could understand that a woman can love a man yet fight against him. What? You have always put your country before everything, have you not? Well, so have I. Go on. This morning I... I pretended to be your agent. Go on. But your car wanted evidence on which to arrest you. And you volunteered to get it? And they told me if you were arrested now that you'd only be deported, but that later you would be shot. I see. Well? There is a man named Callahan to whom you gave a promissory note on London. I persuaded him to let me have it. Oh. Yes? But don't you see? It was to save your life You've given this well... evidence to the Chikar? No, not yet. Really? Well, that's a pity. Because now you've lost the chance. You've been pretty clever, Elena. But you're going to be cheated of the praise that was coming to you. You wanted it both ways, didn't you? The gratitude of the state and my admiration for patriotism that made you able to betray someone you pretended to love. Well, it's not going to work out like that. What are you going to do? I'm locking the door. The country may have no further use for me, but I'm not cashing in without a struggle. I'm sorry to upset your plans with the Chikar, but the inside of a prison doesn't appeal to me. So you're staying here for as long as it suits me to keep you. And if I said that I wanted to stay? What, what do you mean? If I wanted to stay here with you. How long? As long as it suits you to keep me. For life. Give up everything? If you would. I, I'm out of the game. That's easy. But with you, it's different. Lania, we can leave Russia together. Together? I would not have believed that together was the loveliest word in the world. Lania. I love you, darling. I love you, Stefan. I thought everything in my life was over and done with. Now I find that it's only just beginning. Have you ever been in England, Elena? I spent a summer in Sussex. Well, one day we'll have a house in Sussex. And in the morning, when the world's waking up, we'll go out through the wet grass and see the motherly old downs heaving themselves out of the mist. There'll be no more rumble of those guns from the Western Front, just... just the sound of a morning breeze stirring in the pines. I'll hold your hand, then, and say... Forever, Elena. Stefan, what is that noise? Sounds like a crowd. Open the window. Why, this is Look at them. They're filling the whole square. Something has happened. Step out the door. Stay where you are. I'll answer it. Who is it? Uncle Nock. It's Tito and Mateo. 
Tito, Medill, what's the matter? Close that door. What's the matter? What's happened? Plenty. Lenin's just been shot. He is dying. Lenin, sir? When did this happen? Half an hour ago. You see what it means? With Lenin out of it, we still have a chance. A chance? Where's Lafarge? Quick, on to find Callahan. If we can rally the outlying districts, we might pull through. It's worth a try anyway. What are you going to do? Oh, it's all right, Elena. You're going to fight. You're going to start all over again. It's my duty. But what of us? Our lives together. We were going to England. But I can't go now, darling. Not right away. I see. Then it meant nothing to you. I mean nothing to you. Please, Elena. I can't expect you to understand this, but it's a chance again. It's a chance to help England. A chance for more madness and bloodshed. That is what you mean. That's what you want. Oh, haven't there been enough of that already? Haven't enough men died because of you? You're to blame for all this. You, with your petty plans and your filthy little schemes. Well, go on. Pass out your guns. You haven't murdered enough men yet. Shoot them down. Shoot them all down. But do not expect me to stand by watching. Elena, come back here. Come back. Before Errol Flynn and Francis Farmer continue our play, we hear from a woman who served for several years as a British agent at the very scene of tonight's story. She is Natalie Bucknell, head of the research department of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. Last year, Mrs. Bucknell spoke to us on film research. Tonight, it's about her thrilling war experiences. Decorated by the Tsar for heroism as a nurse, she later joined the famous 2nd Women's Battalion of Death. Marrying Lieutenant Commander George Bucknall, an English naval officer stationed in St. Petersburg, she became a British subject. But like the hero of our play, Mrs. Bucknall was not officially connected with the British government. Ladies and gentlemen, Natalie Bucknall. What I'd like to say, first of all, Mr. DeMille, concerns neither spying nor research. Merely as one of the countless women who must feel the same as I do, I want to thank the sponsors of this program for a product which saves us women so much time and money. Lux Flake. Now for undercover experiences. I took place nearly 20 years ago at a time of war. And I sincerely trust no one will interpret my remarks as a reflection against the nation for which I have every respect. Tell us, Mrs. Bucknell, how did you become a secret agent? It was at the time the Bolsheviks raided the British embassy in St. Petersburg. August 1918. A few months after they had made their separate peace with Germany. I was alone in a room when Captain Cromie, the British intelligence officer, dashed in, followed by the raider. He was shot before my eyes and died in my arms. Then, the rest of us, about ten Englishmen and five Americans and Frenchmen, were seized by the Chikar and imprisoned in Peter and Paul Fortress. Now, did you escape or obtain your release? I didn't escape, Mr. DeMille. I was released after two days. They thought that by letting me go, they could follow me, find out where we kept our funds, and intercept any communications that might come from England. Rather an uncomfortable position. What did you do? It may surprise you to learn that I went at once to the German Chargé d'Affaires. He may have been an enemy, but he also was a gentleman. Through him, I was able to get word back to England. But what about your companions imprisoned in the fortress of Peter and Paul? I managed to establish contact with them by eluding my pursuers and disguising myself sometimes as a peasant, sometimes as a servant girl or a nurse. By bribing first the guards and then a woman cook, I was able to get inside the prison several times. The cook admitted me in exchange for a pair of fashionable high-leather boots. 
through her, the messages reached the prisoners. I knew that the more ingenious methods of concealment were the ones most likely to be found out. So I used the simplest. And my most successful rule was to hide messages in cans of French sardines. After six weeks, the Bolsheviks decided to release our men if England would also release a group of Russian officials imprisoned in London. This was arranged and the exchange negotiated in Sweden. But it wasn't until more than two years after the killing of Captain Cromie that England sent an official representative again to Russia. I presume it was for this work, Mrs. Bucknell, that you were awarded the Order of the British Empire. Partly for that, perhaps, and partly for what I was able to do when my husband and I returned a few months later to the south of Russia. He was then the British Naval Liaison Officer attached to General Denikin's staff. It was my job, again unofficial, to remain at headquarters and convey the news to him at the front. I also was in charge of a military hospital. Looking back at these experiences, Mr. DeMille, they seem uh, like a nightmare. Yet many of the things I learned during the war are very helpful to me in dealing with the problems of research that arise in our pictures at Metro Golden Mile. And now, let's listen again to the play. Very thrilling, Errol Flynn and Francis Farmer resume the story of British Agent. With Lennon between life and death, mob hysteria rises to fever heat. Blame for the shooting has been laid to Stephen Locke and his friends, and the net of the Jakar tightens slowly about them. In the Garrett Hideaway, their storehouse for guns and ammunition, Stephen and Madill work doggedly far into the night. In the flickering light of a candle, they check a list of their forces. Lundrovich, 20 men. Send him 10 more rifles, 200 rounds of ammunition. Right. Next customer. Petrovich, 40 men. It's Lafarge. Come in, Lafarge. Any news? Yes. I have news. What's the matter? Delval is dead. What? Dead. They shot him an hour ago. God, why did it have to be him? Well... I'm going to try to get through to General Stefanovich. He has the strongest counter-revolutionary forces in action. I need 500 rubles, Stephen. Right. Here you are. Oh, by the way, you fellows. I hear the Cheka has a list of all counter-revolutionaries. <laughs> we are featured. <laughs> Hello, au revoir. Bye, bye. Sure. So long, Lafarge. All right, let's get on, Manu. Who's the last one? Petrovich. Forty men. Thirty rifles, four hundred rounds. Androvich. Ten men. Ten rifles, hundred rounds. Koskov, fifteen. Ten rifles. What's that? Machine gun. Get away from that window. They got Lafarge. He's down there. He's lying in the street. He's dead. Delval, now Lafarge. Go. They got him. Killed him. The dirty rat. Easy, man. They killed him. Put down that gun. I'll show them. Put it down. Can't shoot you, fool. They locate the rifles, ammunition, everything. <sighs> Sorry, Luck. Lost my head. Hand me my coat, will you? Where are you going? Look up a friend of mine. Who? General Stefanovich. Don't be a fool. You'll never get through. Don't worry. I'll get through. How? I've got to think that up on the way. Fabrov speaking. What? Where'd you pick him up? Hold him, of course. He won't, eh? We'll see. Well, 
They've just arrested Medill. Oh, Medill. On his way to meet Stefanovich. You know him, Elena? Yes, yes, I know him. Oh. He refuses to talk as yet. We shall have to make him talk. What can he tell you? He's the only one left who knows where Stephen Locke is hiding. That's why I gave orders not to shoot him. We must find Stephen Locke. But why, Pavlov? Why is it necessary to hunt down one lone man when there are so many? Because our government is teetering. If Lenin dies and if these riots continue, it will fall. These riots must be stopped. Locke is one of the sources. He must be found. We can no longer think in terms of the present or of ourselves, Elena. Love is of small concern now. I want you to go and see Matilda in his cell. He knows you love Locke. Gain his confidence. Find out where Locke is hiding. No. You refuse? Oh, haven't I done enough? None of us have done enough. Um, but I love him. I love him. You will go, do you hear? No, please. You will go. Come, Tom. Oh. Hello, Elena. I... I am sorry you are here, my dear. Merely a stopover. I'm leaving tomorrow. You... You are to be shot in the morning? It was mentioned in my conversation with the Chaka. Locke, where is he? I'll tell you tomorrow, at noon. Oh, if, if only I could reach him. You were rather fond of him, weren't you? I love him. You know, there used to be four of us. It wasn't bad then, we could play poker. But now with the rest of us, almost gone, there's nothing for Locke to do but play solitaire. He's playing a lone hand now. He can't win. If he could only get out of the country. But how could he? I... I might... You might... What? I could get him out. You didn't come here as a spy, did you? No woman could be that rotten, could she? No. All right, then. I'll tell you where he is. Go to number 11, Lubyanka. It's a garret over two vacant stores. You knock three and two. And the door is your left. Number 11, Lubyanka. Good. Go on. Go on. He told you more than that. It is a garret to over two vacant stores. Knock three and two on the door to the left. Ah, good work, Elena. I'll send a squad. Oh, he isn't there now. He will not be until nine o'clock. Yes, eight now. Oh, but the place is filled with ammunition. He could kill 20 men before they reach the stairs. Then the only way is to blow it up. Blow it up? A time bomb should do the trick. We'll plant it early, give everyone a chance to stand clear. What? At what time? We'll play safe. We'll set a bomb for 10 o'clock tonight. He's sure to be there. Oh, he will be there. At least, he'll never know. No. He will never know. out there. Who's at that door, Hans? Or I'll shoot. Who is it? Lena. Why are you here? I wanted to be with you. I see. Did you come in the line of duty? No, no, Stefan. I have done my duty. It is finished. It is just you and I now. Lena. Listen, dear. 
Listen to me. It is nine o'clock. In an hour, you and I, we, we are going away together. What? It is all arranged. Your work is done. So is mine. But how? I'll never get past that door, darling. They shoot me on sight, you know that? Do not worry, darling. We have an hour to tell each other how happy we are going to be. A whole hour to love each other. Therefore, what time is it? Three minutes to ten, darling. Why? Oh, it, it seems to have gone so quickly. Darling, is there anything wrong? Something you haven't told? Oh, no, no, darling. Stefan, kiss me. Hold me tight. Tell me you love me. Oh, tell me. Tell me, Stefan. Oh, darling, I love you. I love you, lady. They're yelling something at... Did you hear? It's something about... It's about Lenin. Lenin lives. He's going to recover. Lenin is peace. The terror is over, Stefan. What's it mean? Oh, it means we are free. They will empty the prisons. Then Madil saved. And we are, darling. We can go to England. Oh, God. What? Don't get out of here, Stefan. We have got to get out of here. Unlock the door. But why? Don't stop now. Please, please, Stefan. Open the door. Oh, quickly. Lenin, are you mad? Get down the stairs. Out in the street. Hurry, Stefan. What's all this about? We have got to get away from here. Out into the street. Give me a hand. Here we are. Look, out that way. Oh, stay near me, Stefan. Stay near me. Do not leave me. It's all right, darling. We're out now. Elena, will you please tell me what you're... Elena. Are you all right, Stefan? Yes, darling. You knew what was going to happen. Yes, but, but that is over now, Stefan. We are free to go. Our life is beginning again. You knew what was going to happen, and you stayed with me. That was my duty, too. That was British Agent. 1937 with Errol Flynn and Francis Farmer from the Lux Theater in this episode's Archaeological Audio Discovery. Now, before I wrap it up, some quick news about Shot and Shield. So you may or may not know uh, my studio where I do the podcast and do my painting and my war game stuff is barely usable. There is some, uh, some water pipe that's running under the foundation that's causing heavy condensation and making the carpet wet and it's making it all mildew and everything, creating some mold. And it's just not a good deal, right? So I was planning on having more guests on, but the studio circumstances is just becoming just unbearable. And so I, I got to move. I got to get this moved. And so we're going to be getting this done. So since I'll be working on that, this may be it for May. For instance, I, you know, a friend of the podcast, Gurinder Singh Man, has a new book coming out uh, this month, which I was hoping to speak to him uh, about in this, you know, but the studio is just like really bad off right now. So I'm hoping we can get this move, get reset up, get going again and, and have him on to talk about his new book. because it, it, I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. His last one was also. And I'll, I'll keep you informed on Twitter and on the Facebook group. 
In the meantime, you've been listening in Gdansk, Poland, Cornucopia, Wisconsin, and Istanbul, Turkey, through the Shot and Shield Supercast, the podcast dedicated to colonial 19th century wargaming. I am the Grand Duke Scott. I'm out. And now this from Alfred Lord Tennyson, The Eagle, from 1851. He clasps the crag with crooked hands, close to the sun in lonely lands. Ringed with azure world he stands, the wrinkled sea beneath him crawls. He watches from the mountain walls, and like a thunderbolt he falls. This has been a production of the Experience 13 Podcast Network. 13! Your electricity.